What if each one of us lived up to our potential and managed our resources so well that we could provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities in a meaningful and substantial way? Join Mindful Money Management, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner at Asante Wealth Management. Our show today is called The Wonderful World of Wills, and my guest is Sherry Gross from Mennonite Foundation of Canada. Every Canadian will die someday, but about 50% of us don't have wills. And those Canadians that have a written will often wrote it many years ago, and it's now out of date. Circumstances change, and there are some circumstances that will legally make that will not in effect after certain changes in our lives. So also for Christians, preparing a will is an act of Christian stewardship and provides the opportunity to care for those we leave behind. We're going to discuss why Canadians need a will, when you should update one, and how you can incorporate charitable gifts into your estate plan. It's actually a fairly easy process. And just for fun, Sherry's got some stories of some weird wills for us, too. And I'm looking forward to that. Sherry Gross is a stewardship consultant with the Mennonite Foundation of Canada. MFC helps Canadians give money to the causes they care about during their lifetime and in their estate. In 2013, MFC distributed $14 million to over 700 charities. Prior to joining the foundation in 2006, our guest, Sherry Gross, worked for an agricultural cooperative for 13 years in a variety of positions. Sherry holds the Certified Financial Planner designation and has completed an Ontario Wills and Estate course. Welcome, Sherry. Thanks, Lynn. So we're we're looking forward to talking about the wonderful world of wills. And we'll get around to what happens if you don't prepare a will. And I find there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what happens if you die without a will. And there seems to be a lot of reasons that Canadians don't prepare wills. But first, I'm really looking forward to hearing about one of those weird wills. Would you share one of those with us? Absolutely. Out in Caribert, Saskatchewan, there's a really unusual document that was filed with the surrogate court in that district, and it's actually a fender cut from a farm tractor. And so in June of 1948, George Harris was out in his fields and somehow got pinned by the tractor. So he's under the tractor. His hands were free, but the lower part of his leg was caught underneath and was actually bleeding quite a bit. So he was found nine hours later and rushed to the hospital where he died shortly after. But while he was pinned, he was able to scratch some stuff into the fender of the tractor. He was able to reach that. And so it read, in case I die in this mess, I leave all to the wife, Cecil George Harris. (laughs) So that was his will. And after his death, it was actually removed from the tractor. It was admitted to the court and filed as his last will and testament. Wow. So is that the kind of thing you're recommending for us today, Sherry? (laughs) No, actually. (laughs) 
I'm thinking that as George was caught out in that field thinking that he might not get to see his family again, he might not recover, that he was maybe thinking, gee, maybe I should have looked after this a little bit sooner rather than trying to scratch something into the fender of the tractor with his jackknife. Yeah, and it suddenly became a priority. It did, and fortunately for him, he was conscious, he was able to reach the fender, he was able to reach and open his jackknife. Any mm-hmm. of those things, you know, if right. they hadn't happened, would have meant he couldn't have written this very short and concise will on his tractor fender. Right, right. So as a foundation, tell us about the Mennonite Foundation of Canada and how did you get involved in wills? Well, Mennonite Foundation of Canada is all about charitable giving for Canadians, both during their lifetime and at death. And so our goal at the foundation is to make it easy for people to give to the causes that they care about, whether those are Christian charities or not. It can be any charity in Canada that they want to support, and it can be immediately or over time. We're totally donor-advised, which means that the donor, the person giving the money, will make all the decisions about how much they want to donate, which charity or charities it should go to, and when those gifts should go. And then we do the rest. We do all the detail work in the background. So many people who are generous in their lifetime also want to be generous or even more generous after they die. And so we have lots of conversations with folks about how that might work, how that might fit into their estate plan. And we end up working quite often with their other advisors. So the other advisors might specialize in law, investments, or taxes, but we specialize in the area of charitable gifts, and we're able to bring that piece of expertise to the conversation. We've had many conversations over the years. We've done some teaching, and there's some common reasons emerge that people don't have wills or haven't updated them. And we really encourage Canadians to actually think about this. We think it's a really important piece for Christians and non-Christians to actually have wills and make sure they're up to date. So, you know, when you talk about all those things that you make sure happen for the individual, are you also there to help them figure that out, to make those decisions and figure out what the best way for them to give is? We are. We're able to look at their various assets, discuss their hopes and their dreams, the causes they care about, the things they want to see change, and then help them figure out how they can make that happen in their estate, if that's their goal, or during their lifetime as well. Mm-hmm. Sherry, why wouldn't somebody make a will? We all know that we're going to die sometime. I think that Canadians, for the most part, think, well, probably they should do it. So why aren't they taking the advantage of the opportunity to make things easy for the loved ones that they leave behind? Well, you know, most of us don't like thinking about our own death. We don't like thinking about the time that we won't be here. We're not going to be with the people we love. We're not going to be able to look after our pets and our families and our plants. And so we just avoid it. We kind of put our head in the sand and we just sort of pretend that that probably won't happen Or if it does, it'll happen a whole pile of years from now. Some of the other reasons people don't make wills is they make a lot of assumptions. So some folks, for example, think that everything I own, if I'm married or live in common law, everything goes to my spouse or partner, so I don't actually need a will. Or they think that their family is going to get together and decide how things should be distributed, so I don't need to bother going to a lawyer and paying that money because my family will just look after it. 
after I'm gone. Neither of those are true, unfortunately. Right. Sometimes folks think it's just too expensive. You know, lawyers seem to charge a lot of money. It can be a few hundred dollars, even a thousand or more to get an updated will. And people say, oh my goodness, that's so much. But if we look at everything we own and everything we have and the people we care about and the causes we care about, it's actually not a big investment to have something that's just for us. For other folks, they're simply painful or difficult or complicated family situations that they really just don't know how to navigate and don't know who to talk with. And Mm -hmm. they can be navigated. There are easy ways to solve these issues, but you really just need to have a conversation to find out what to do about a child maybe that's spent some time in jail or can't handle money properly or has some addictions or mental or physical health issues. There are ways to navigate all of these things, but it does begin with a conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And someone like yourself or your financial planner or or your lawyer or even your accountant, they've been through these stories with other people. I think a lot of times people feel that their family is the only one with these issues. But when you're in a position where you're dealing with people and having these conversations, you begin to realize that it's more common, right? And so you've had that discussion with somebody else in the past, right? And, of course, there's there's also no judgment, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I like to remind folks that every family has stuff. Mm-hmm. Every family has things that go on. Every family has relatives that are maybe a little bit challenging or complicated. Everybody has those things. And they're often not made public. These are sometimes very painful situations, but I've certainly heard a number of them, and I always try to remind folks that they are not alone. They may not know anybody else with that situation, but they certainly exist here in Ontario and in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't tell you how common a theme it is for something like, you know, there's four children in a family, and one child has borrowed money from mom, hasn't been able to pay it back or hasn't made the effort to pay it back. The other siblings are ticked off with that sibling. And, you know, so it it begins to affect Christmas and it affects Easter. You know, people don't come to family gatherings or nobody talks about it, right, is the other thing. Yeah, the thing we'll about, put on our smile. Yeah, yeah, we put on our smile and we, and we go. The thing is, preparing a will does give you the opportunity to make that fair again. Exactly. And some families, when we're chatting with, often it's parents who are chatting with, will say, oh my goodness, I could never have this conversation with my children. I couldn't bring this up because they'll fight. And our response is often, with a little bit of humor, when do you want them to fight? Do you Mm -hmm. want them to fight when you're still here and can kind of make them come to Christmas and Easter and get-togethers for birthdays and help them sort through their feelings and the issues and the problems that are happening? Or do you want this to happen after you pass away when you're not around to help them and maybe they don't get together again? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the other piece to that is, you know, we really advocate for talking about these things, Uh, you know, talking about your money, sharing and looking for a way to make it a positive experience. The other thing is when you have those things that have potential to be a little volatile, bring in a professional, bring in a financial planner, bring in somebody like yourself 
I know I've served in this role, but that's when you can create some accuracy. You know, people assume things are going to happen, but a lot of times our assumptions are not correct. And I think that someone that can add some accuracy to what actually happens legally and can sort of help keep the lid on the emotions too, right? Often people don't behave the same way with someone else in the room as they might with just their family. For sure. We tend to be on our best behavior if there's a guest or a stranger in the room. (laughs) So you also said that people think, oh, well, it's too expensive. It's going to take too much time. What I thought at that point when you said that is, but what about if you don't do it? You know, oh, yeah. You know, the expenses that can come up after you're gone because you didn't invest that piece to get the work done, the time and the expense that can be added to the settling of an estate because there isn't a will in place. Of course. If you if you don't write your own will or if the will that you've written is no longer valid, the provinces and the territories in Canada, wills are actually provincial and territorial jurisdiction. So each of them has prepared one for you. You just might not like it. And so like many things that the government does, there's a very strict set of instructions about how an estate would be distributed, depending mm-hmm. on which situation it falls into. So are you married? Are you common law? Do you have children or not? Do you have grandchildren? If not, do you have surviving parents or siblings? And so people may be included in your estate that you don't intend, or people mm. may be ignored that you don't intend, because the provincial will is very black and white, very cut and dry. And so, for example, a married couple with children, if they pass away without a will, and let's suppose everything's owned by the person that dies, in Ontario, because it varies by province, the first 200000 of the estate would go to the married spouse. So that's Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. But then everything else would be divided between spouse and child or children. So if Mm -hmm. there's one, they would divide it 50-50. If there's more than one child, it's one-third to the married spouse. And the children, whether there's two or 22 of them, would divide the other two-thirds. The problem is it doesn't matter how old they are. Mm -hmm. So if this is a two-year-old and a five-year-old, they have a share of the inheritance that will be held in trust for them and at 18 they get their share. Well, that's not what most parents intend, but that's Mm -hmm. what would happen if you didn't prepare a will. Yes, I mean, there's a lot of situations where this one-size-fits-all might not be the best thing for the family. No, there's little flexibility. It doesn't take into account any special needs in the family, so whether there's um, perhaps disabilities or... Uh, one child has borrowed money and, and another child hasn't, for example. It, it doesn't take any planning. It, it, of course, doesn't include any charitable gifts. And so mm-hmm. I usually tell folks it's like a one-size-fits-all T-shirt. It does not flatter most of us. It just is not <laughs> suitable. For sure. So what about common-law spouses? You had mentioned that back in the assumptions that people make that aren't true is there a difference between the married spouse and a common-law spouse as far as the estate goes? Well, again, this varies by province, and I know you might have people listening from many places, but in Ontario, we are one of the only provinces that does not recognize common-law spouses as equivalent to married in an estate. 
And so a common law spouse in Ontario actually has no automatic right of inheritance. They, of course, would get whatever is jointly owned or if they're named beneficiaries, those sorts of things. But there's no automatic entitlement the way there is if you're a married spouse. And a lot of folks don't know that simply because common law spouses are treated the same as married spouses in just about every other place in the law, federally Mm -hmm. and in Ontario, but not for estates. And so especially for folks living common law, it's even more important that you have a will that reflects your wishes. Yeah, and because common law is equivalent to married in a lot of situations, it's not unusual for people to have that misconception that it would be the same. Yeah, I've done a few presentations where people have assured me that I'm wrong. (laughs) Which is fine, you know, I'm not a lawyer. um, But this is what lawyers have shared with me, what I've learned, the reading I've done. And they've come back later very sheepish and said, oh my goodness, we had no idea and we're so glad that now we know so that we can, you know, go get this done and get it looked after. Right. What about people with small children? What if they just don't know who they would leave to care for their children? How do you help them sort out who would be the best person? It's often a conversation, again, about who's involved in their lives, who would raise their children in a similar fashion, who lives nearby, especially as the children get older, they may not want to move out of that area or or even that province. And mm-hmm. so it's a conversation about, generally folks go to family, which is fine, but if you're thinking about your parents, how old will your parents be when your youngest child is an adult? You know, if they're going mm-hmm. to be 75 by the time your youngest is 18 or 20, they might not be able to parent very well at that point. They may be, but maybe not. You can look at siblings, and sometimes there just aren't suitable siblings, or there aren't siblings. And so folks will sometimes look at friends that they know, perhaps from church or friends that they have other connections with, and say, you know, we probably won't need this. But if we do, it's comforting that we've had some input into where our children would go. It, of Mm -hmm. course, is approved by the court, but... If you don't specify that, it's the courts that would decide where your kids would go. And it may or may not be the people that you would prefer. Mm -hmm. Well, and and somebody has to apply to the court too, right? So, you know, you've got no guarantee that the person you would want actually applies to the court as well. Exactly. And if you have family and friends, maybe you think your friends would be a better choice for your particular situation. But if family applies, your friends may hold back and say, oh, you know, like I I don't want to interfere. And people are grieving, and they're just not their best selves when they're grieving. So Mm -hmm. there are sometimes battles over the children, and it becomes a case of who will win them, in effect. Mm, Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful sometimes. Yeah, yeah, just that terminology, right? Sherry, what would you say to people who say that they don't have enough assets to need to put a will in place? Well, they might be surprised because what we have in our bank accounts day to day is very different than what would be gathered up when we die. So I always invite folks to think about everything that they own and all the money that they might owe and add that up. Think about uh, whether there would be payouts from pensions or their retirement funds, is there life insurance? Perhaps there's a policy through work. What about cars? What about other kinds of things that they own? Add those up, and it generally doesn't take long for it to be at least in the tens of thousands, if not the hundreds of thousands, 
or sometimes mm-hmm. up in the millions. It's quick, and people are often surprised by how much it actually is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that superstition ever plays a part in people not preparing a will? Absolutely. There are folks that are convinced that somehow they will be hit by a bus or a car on walking out of the lawyer's office having <laughs> signed their new wills. Um, yeah. I've heard no stories of that happening, and there's actually a little bit of research out of the states that indicates that people who have prepared wills do live longer than those who haven't. Oh, so okay. I'm not sure why that is. I've heard no causation reasons, but it was just a, a note of, you know, these folks haven't written wills and, and died younger than the folks who had written wills, which was interesting. Right, right. Cher, I think we'll go to a break now. When we come back from that, I want to ask you about these will kits that are available to people and if that's a good way to go. So Mm -hmm. we'll get back to our topic right after this break. In society, plant giving seems to be presented as something you do when you're extremely wealthy or planning your estate. Mindful Money Management focuses on planning your contribution at every step around the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and create a better world. Tune in to Mindful Money Management regularly. Feel free to contact Lynn Wedham of Asante Estate and Insurance Services with your planned giving questions. You can contact Lynn at lynn at mindfulmoneymanagement.ca. I'm your host, Lynn Wedham. Our show today is called The Wonderful World of Wills. And my guest is Sherry Gross from the Mennonite Foundation of Canada. So, Sherry, what do you think about these will kits that are available to us? Well, I think that they maybe are useful in a few situations, but for most of us, our lives are complicated enough and we mm-hmm. have enough assets that I think it's worthwhile for us to make the trek to a lawyer and spend that few hundred or thousand dollars to go and get a will that is designed just for us. A will kit, in my opinion, is a lot like that one-size-fits-all T-shirt, which just doesn't work for most of us. It's either way too big, way too tight, too long, too short. It's always too something. If you're not a lawyer, it's really easy to mess up the wording that you use or how you try to fill in the blanks in these will kits. And when you make a mistake, the problem is that we can't talk to you anymore. Mm -hmm. By the time this matters, you're deceased. You've passed away. So it's not like we can call you up or knock on the door and say, hey, what did you mean by this? And so some lawyers will joke that, you know, will kits are actually a great source of income for them because instead of the few hundred or thousand dollars for the will during someone's lifetime, they sometimes get tens of thousands when Mm -hmm. there's disputes in the estate. And families are battling over it. And that's sometimes where the estate assets end up is in all of this legal costs for disputes that maybe could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned some resources that MFC would have as well. Would you mention that for us? Absolutely. The resources are on our website. So if you go to any search engine and look for Mennonite Foundation of Canada, On our homepage is a Will Planning Guide button. It's about partway down the first page. And you can click on that, and it's our Will Planning Guide, which is written for Canadians. And so even though there are some differences between the provinces and the territories, those are noted in the guide. 
for folks who aren't sure about the legal terminology, what a state trustee means or guardian or those kinds of things, those terms are all described in an appendix in the back of the book. And so the book is just a great overview in plain English to take most of us that aren't lawyers through the situation and say, okay, if you're married, here are some things you need to think about. If you're common law, here are some things to think about. If you have children that are still minors, they're not adults yet, here are some things to think about. And just help people think through the situations and the decisions they need to make so when they actually get to a lawyer, they feel like they've made some preparations ahead of time and had those conversations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Sherry. That's a great resource for our listeners. So, Sherry, would a will distribute everything that a person owns? Occasionally, but most often it doesn't. So for a couple, for example, common law or married, if they have a home, quite often it's in both names as joint owners. And so in that case, it would go to the survivor. So if the wife passes away, the husband survives, then the husband would own that property, that house. Anything where there's a beneficiary designation, so things like life insurance or retirement accounts like RSPs or RIFs, you can name beneficiaries to those. And as long as that person or those people survive you, the money would go straight to them. Everything else tends to be distributed by the will or in cases where joint owners or beneficiaries don't survive you, then that forms part of the estate that the will would deal with. Right. So, you know, if someone becomes an executor, what are some of the things that they have to deal with at that time? So for estate trustees, they're really the the person or the people in charge. And so they need to gather up the assets, figure out what folks own, secure those assets so make sure they're safe, that they're locked if it's a car, a house, or a cottage, those kinds of things. They'll need to get them valued. They will need to pay all the taxes, pay all the debts of the person that's passed away. So any bills that are owed need to be paid. Once all of those things are done, then they actually would take the assets and distribute them according to the will, whether that's the one the individual wrote themselves or whether that's the provincial will. They would distribute those assets. Okay. Sherry, we've kind of neglected our weird wills. Would you tell us, uh, would you give us another one of those? This is one of my favorite parts. When I looked up weird wills, there were some really interesting things. <laughs> so there's a gentleman called Samuel Bratt. He lived in the UK and he died in 1960. And he actually used his will to get even with his wife. So uh-huh. during his lifetime, his wife would not allow him to smoke his favorite cigars. Before he died, he wrote his will and decided he was going to get even. So he left her 330,000 pounds, but to get it, she had to smoke five cigars a day. (laughs) (laughs) And I wonder. Recommended. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder who who made sure she smoked her cigars. (laughs) That might have been the estate trustee's job. I'm not sure. But I think he made his point anyway, regardless of whether she actually uh, followed through on that or not. So what are some of the other things that we should think about when preparing or updating a will, Sherry? Well, I think you want to think about whether there's anyone that you have to include in your will or whether there are people that you just want to include in your will, because there are some differences. So if you're married, usually you have to include your spouse unless you have some kind of um, nuptial agreement that has some other instructions. 
When you say have to include, you mean that it's a legal requirement? If you don't include your spouse, so if, if someone's married and somehow when they're at the lawyer's office, they forget that they have a married spouse and they're in Ontario, for example, the married spouse could appeal to the court after their death and would probably win at least mm -hmm. a portion of the estate that they would get under the provincial will or if they had separated or divorced. So yeah, it's hard to ignore your married spouse. Likewise, your minor or disabled children, you can't ignore them, you can't not provide for them, you have to include them. And if you don't, again, you risk the court saying, you know, this person has assets and they have these minor children or a child or children that are disabled and need ongoing care. And so the courts will sometimes overturn that will and say those assets need to go to the child or children or some of them need to go to the child or children. Okay. So, yeah, but other than that, it's fairly wide open who you can choose to include or not. In some provinces, it can be difficult to exclude one or more of your children. And so mm -hmm. it's helpful, again, to go to a lawyer and to have that information recorded about why you've made this decision. Otherwise, of course, by the time the will is read, you're deceased, we can't talk to you. And right. so was it an oversight? Did you forget about little Susie that day for some reason? And so it's your chance to kind of detail, here's why I'm not including Susie in my estate, or here's why Billy's getting less than my other children, mm -hmm. and detail those reasons. Mm -hmm. And again, I'd say in the best situation, it's more ideal to have that conversation when you're still around. Right, it, you know, if, if it is possible to have that conversation with the family, that's really what we would say was the preferable situation too. Again, yeah. they can't ask questions either, right? No one no, can they ask can't. questions after the fact. Immediately seem to assume that we're, especially children, are treated differently. It's because the parents felt differently about them. They liked one more than the other. This one was a favorite. And you have no information to, to change those assumptions. Mm -hmm. So definitely having the conversation is key. And I would also like folks to just remember that when we're grieving, when there's been a death, we are not our best selves. And so feelings are often a little closer to the top. We're more emotional generally. And so it becomes easier for us to start making assumptions or have issues with our siblings or with other family members that maybe we could have avoided, for example, just in a normal gathering other than the funeral. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it all sounds rather complicated. Have you seen some plans that didn't work out? Yeah, I've seen a couple, actually. And fortunately, folks have been able to sort these things out because they're still alive and able to make changes. So I had one older couple come into the office and pull out their, their very old will. It was from a few decades previously. And they couldn't recall who was involved, who was their estate trustees or anything like that. And so we pulled it mm -hmm. out and looked at it. And it was, I think his brother was going to be the estate trustee. And if he couldn't do it, then it was going to be her brother. Well, his brother had died five years before. And her mm -hmm. brother was in a nursing home with dementia. And wow. so neither of them would have been able to act. And so... Right. If they hadn't been able to update their wills, when they passed away, it would have gone to the courts to decide who's going to be the estate trustee. Well, these folks had some very strong opinions about who was and wasn't appropriate in their family to mm -hmm. 
to act mm. in this way. And so it was actually quite good that they were able to go back to a lawyer, update their will, and make sure it reflected their wishes of who they wanted to manage things. And they were able to make that choice, which I think was very helpful. Mm-hmm. The other one I've sometimes seen is folks will intend that their will is going to distribute everything for various reasons. So they want everything to go into the estate, and then the will is going to deal with it. And that can be easy to do. It's not a problem. You just send all of your stuff to the estate. But what sometimes happens is a couple years after they write that will, they get talking to someone who says, oh, you should name beneficiaries for your insurance, or you should name beneficiaries for your retirement funds and avoid probate and those kinds of things. And so they do that, and those assets go outside of the will, and so they forget that this was kind of their overall plan. So you really need to make sure that all these moving pieces are working together so that your overarching plan of how you want your estate distributed, who you want included, if you want charitable gifts, where do they fit into the picture, that this is, it can be kind of a complex machine, which is why we have advisors and why there's lots of good information out there, Mm -hmm. but we have to actually ask for that. Right. So I guess, you know, part of what we're saying is we're really recommending doing the planning, you know, giving some thought to this and going for some advice on these things. The other thing that I wonder if people get confused about, and that is, you know, I think it would be very easy for someone to say, okay, I've got a house, say, that's worth $100,000, and I've got $100,000 in my RSP. So I'm going to leave the house to perhaps one adult child who doesn't own a house, and I'm going to leave the RSP to another child. But my intention is that I'm treating them equally. What would you say to that? Well, there's some problems potentially. What if you have to sell your house later in life to provide assets for care because you can't live there any longer? Now that child who was to inherit the house, there's no house. Mm -hmm. So what would they receive instead? Would they receive the money or not? Maybe, but maybe not. What if the house goes up in value a great deal? Mm -hmm. Right? So Mm -hmm. maybe it's 100,000 now, those funds are equal, but five years from now, that could be a very different situation. Maybe there's a housing boom, there's a housing crash, and again, those assets may not be the same. And of course, there's taxes. So Mm -hmm. you're home in Canada, you're allowed one where there's no tax, regardless of how the value has changed. But your retirement funds are simply tax-deferred, meaning you haven't paid the taxes yet. But if you haven't withdrawn those funds by the time you've passed away, those taxes would come into play in your estate. And so the retirement fund could be significantly less by the time the estate pays the taxes. Right. So it's it's maybe not as easy as you think it would seem to be, or common sense Mm -hmm. would tell us it should be, which I think is why people need to just get some advice, have some conversations, Read through a guide like the one that we provide online. It's written for Mm -hmm. Canada. And talk to the people involved and say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think about that? Maybe your child doesn't want the house. Maybe they intentionally don't have a house and they're quite happy not having a house. That's true. Yeah. If you don't have the conversations, then we don't have an understanding, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go for another break, and uh, we'll ask you for another weird will after the break. Do you want to make a difference? What if you found a way to make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible? Apply mindful money management and learn how to create a better world by casting a vote for your values every time you spend, 
invest, and donate. Lynn Wedham is available to speak to you individually or to your group. You can reach Lynn at 519-654-8342 or by email at lynn at mindfulmoneymanagement.ca. Welcome back to our show today called The Wonderful World of Wills. Our guest is Sherry Gross, and we have been talking about the will planning. Right now, let's get another one of these weird wills that Sherry's been sharing with us. Absolutely. So there was an uncle who wanted his three deserving nephews to decide who was going to get his estate. And so his will decided they would actually throw dice (laughs) to decide who was going to get the estate. Wow. So, yeah. So in 1921, these three young men got together at their late uncle's estate in Bermuda. The dice were passed around, and Richard Durrell, one of the nephews, was the new owner of the estate. And the other Mm -hmm. two were left out. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Another interesting way to uh, do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Also not recommended. Right. Also not recommended. (laughs) Sherry, when you talk about... You've mentioned people of of faith. How does that impact people's plans? Well, I think for most of us that are Christians or people of faith, our faith impacts a lot of our decisions. And I think that would include our estates in terms of who we include, especially around charitable giving. Christians and people of faith tend to be the folks that give to charity during their lifetime and in their estates quite significantly. Not only, of course, but it's more common for them. And so thinking about the things that are important to you. For some folks, it's a case of, you know what, I've helped my kids during my lifetime. I've made sure that they had funds for education, for housing. I helped them with weddings or education funds for grandchildren, those kinds of things. And so I don't feel obligated to leave them all of my estate. Maybe I'll Mm -hmm. leave them something, or maybe I'll decide to skip a generation and leave money for grandchildren, but I'll leave some to charity because there are lots of other things that are important to me in the world, too, lots of folks that are not as well off, both in Canada and around the globe, and many feel a desire to include those folks in their state, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to remember it makes people feel good to give, too. It does. It's a great thing. And we've had a few folks who have come to us and wanted to leave some portion of their estate to charity. And, of course, we're a fan of the conversation where it's possible for a family to have that. So I've Mm -hmm. had a few folks over the years that have come in and wanted to leave, you know, a significant portion of their estate to charity and have been able to have conversations with their adult children. And in a number of cases, those adult children have said, you know what, mom, dad, this is what you've always been passionate about. You've helped us out. We're doing really well. Leave something for the grandkids, absolutely, because they're teenagers or young adults. They're at an age where they'll be going to school, getting married, buying houses, starting out. The funds will be useful for them. But absolutely give money to the causes that you care about because that's so much a part of who you are and how you've always lived. And folks come back to us and they're just so delighted to have their children's blessings to go Mm -hmm. ahead and do the things that they really, really want to do. Yeah, having that conversation has allowed the parents to share their reasons for leaving to a certain charity as well. And I think that's really important, too, that, you know, the values can be communicated as well. Absolutely. By having that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So, Sherry, what about, you know, it's a complicated world. What about second marriages, step families? Does this make a difference to the importance of the will or how we would do the planning? It absolutely can. So one of the things that folks generally assume but don't always know for sure is that stepchildren don't automatically inherit from a step-parent. Children are either natural children by birth or by adoption, and stepchildren don't fit into either of those categories. So stepchildren wouldn't automatically be included. And depending on the relationship, when the step-parent came on the scene, they may or may not want to include those children. It may be appropriate to do so or not. But Mm -hmm. making sure that if you are the parent of those children and you pass away first and leave everything to your new spouse, what happens to your children when your new spouse passes away? Your children wouldn't automatically be included in the step-parent estate. So I've talked to some adult children, especially where the parents have gotten married later in life, so, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. They've gone to a lawyer, they've left everything to each other, and, for example, you know, this gentleman's, father passed away first, left everything to his new wife, and the son didn't really think too much about that. He didn't worry about it a great deal, but the stepmother died not long after, and of course her children were in charge of the estate. Because Mm. these two had gotten married later in life, the two sets of children didn't really have a relationship or connection. They hardly even knew each other. And so it wasn't so much the money that he was concerned about, but some of the actual tangible items from his dad that were just gone because they had no value to the stepchildren. So his dad's Mm -hmm. pocket watch, some of his books, some of those kinds of things that they would have dearly loved to have Mm -hmm. simply didn't get passed through because of the way the will was set up. And the stepmother didn't deal with it at the time. Her health wasn't great. And so it's simply not thinking through those kinds of situations of, okay, what about you know, what kinds of tangible items do I have that were in my family that my children might want to have now or later? How do I Mm -hmm. include them? And they're the items that can provide a bit of comfort at that time as well, right? They can. I sometimes ask folks, what are the things that your family would be horrified to find in the thrift store? You know, those Mm -hmm. are probably the items that you need to have conversations with them about. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, when you're settling an estate and and you maybe have a house full of items, it can be a rather formidable thing as well. But it's funny, you you mentioned the thrift store. There's an art auction in Cambridge, which is a fundraising thing. And my sister-in-law saw this picture that had been in my mother-in-law's house. So I was able to buy it back for 30 bucks. But I'm sure at the time, Nobody cared at that point because there was so many things to deal with. Uh, So it was kind of neat to find it in that situation. You know, it had a horse on it, so it fit into my decor and was something I was glad to have. But probably at that time, there wasn't anybody who said, oh, I'd like that item because there was so much to deal with. Yeah, so that can happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about separated spouses? Well, in Ontario, separated spouses are still considered married spouses, and so they would still be included in the estate. So where folks have separated and aren't intending or hoping to reconcile, they may actually want to go write new wills for their changed situation. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, I think that's a place where sometimes people forget 
to deal with a beneficiary designation or something for an ex-spouse. When we're going through things with people, we often find where something hasn't been dealt with, where really, you know, they're assuming something's going to a current spouse, but they've maybe left a beneficiary designation of an ex-spouse or something too. So those are all things that often I think people always don't take care with. And sort of looking at all of this and going through this process and this planning, I think is a good time to take note of those things and make sure everything is in order. Um, Absolutely. When a relationship breaks up, there's a lot happening. And so it can be easy to miss those details. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about second marriages, stepchildren, separated spouses, minor children. What guidance can you give us regarding minor children? Well, for folks with young children, there's a couple key reasons that they should think about having or updating their will, and that's who would look after these children, who will raise them until their adult years, who will manage the funds for them. So, as I said, you can't really exclude them from your estate. You have to provide for them. And someone needs to manage that money. Generally, it's your estate trustee, but is that someone able to manage money for maybe 18 years or longer if you've specified a later date that children should get their money? Most Mm -hmm. 18-year-olds who don't have parents, giving them a significant amount of money is just not a great idea. And so by having a staged or delayed inheritance, you give those children some time to you know, actually grow up a bit and Mm -hmm. gain some maturity. And so rather than inheriting at 18, which is the rule in Ontario, if you don't specify, some folks will say, okay, I'll give them a little bit of of money, maybe 5 or 10% between 18 and 20 sometime, and then a little bit more in their early 20s, and maybe the last bit in their mid-20s, depending on the child. And that hopefully will get them you know, they'll be a little bit older, a little bit more mature if they've made some poor decisions with the first one or two bits of cash that they've gotten, then perhaps they've realized the error of their ways and can make some good decisions. Right. We have just flown through our hour, Sherry. We're down to the last couple of minutes here. I think that there's a lot more things that we could have talked about, and so I think we'll have to plan another show to uh, <laughs> to do that. So thanks so much for being with us today. How could people reach you, Sherry, if they wanted more information? Well, the best way is probably through our website. So you can go to any search engine and look for Mennonite Foundation of Canada. There's a Contact Us button on the home page. And if you click that, you will find the contact information for me and for my fellow consultant colleagues across the country. Okay. We are easy to find and easy to access. Thanks so much for being here to share this with us. Thank you very much, Lynn. So, this is Lynn Wedham. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Bye for now. Thank you for choosing to listen to Mindful Money Management. We hope you'll join us next time. To listen to more shows like this one, please go to soundcloud.com and search Mindful Money Management. We appreciate your follows, likes, and shares. Until next time, remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community.